0: I'm Bonnie Lin, Director of the China Power Project and Senior Fellow for Asian Security at CSIS. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we're discussing China's current COVID situation. What happened with China's zero COVID policy? What are the short and long-term implications for China's reversal of this policy? And how will this impact China moving forward? Here to discuss this and more is Dr. Yan Huang, Senior Fellow for Global Health at the Council on Foreign Relations, Dr. Huang is also a professor and director of global health studies at Seton Hall University School of Diplomacy and International Relations. Yanzhong, thanks for joining us today, and welcome back to the podcast.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: So what we want to discuss today is what's happening in China now, given what we're seeing with the COVID situation, as well as China's changing of its zero COVID policy. But maybe before we delve into what's happening right now, could I ask you to give a little bit of background into how China has handled the COVID pandemic in the last two or so years or three years?
1: Well, essentially if you look at, the, you know, China's uh, response to the COVID-19 pandemic, It uh, can be divided into three stages, right? The initial stage or the first stage, we saw the emergence of the uh, novel coronavirus, but this is also the time, you know, that was characterized with government cover-up and inaction, you know, that essentially led to the rapid spread of the virus in Wuhan and beyond. And the healthcare system, we know, was overwhelmed with the rapid increase of the cases, you know, that eventually triggered decisive action from the central leadership uh, in late January 2020. And uh, the second stage started in spring of 2020, essentially with the end of the outbreak in Wuhan, and it lasted uh, uh, until by December 2022 where well, essentially it's like almost 2 years right this is the time would be called the zero covid era right the government essentially used a, a very stringent containment based approach to cut the local transmission chain to contain you know any possible flare ups you know and uh, small outbreaks and then the third stage started in December, uh, actually December 7th, 2022, right? So this is a time we uh, call the reopening, right? And there we found that China adopted, uh, essentially, a let it rip approach that uh, encouraged the uh, unbridled spread of the, the virus. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the viral wave quickly reached the peak uh, in early January. You know, now it has also dropped to a very low level. So, you know, that was the third stage of the outbreak.
0: So, Yan on your description of the third phase, which is the scrapping of the zero COVID policy and what you described as letting COVID rip through China, what caused this shift? And from your perspective, were there any major events beforehand? Or was this something that was already expected, but potentially accelerated by various factors?
1: Yeah, well, I think this is actually a very intriguing question. Clearly, by December 2022, the zero COVID policy you know, faced a sustainability problem, you know, given the rising social economic cost. Especially when you talk about the economy, it right, was close to be derailed and badly needs to be fixed. Uh, there was also by this diminishing returns problem, as the policy was unable right, to contain. The spread of the virus i'm talking about the, the omicron strain uh the omicron variant you might uh, you might recall that in urumuchi of xinjiang the uh, government essentially locked the population for more than 100 days without being able to cut the local transmission chain, you know, so they just announced, you know, we have so achieved a societal zero COVID, and then they relaxed those uh, measures. The third reason I think it was this is exactly what sparked the change was the uh, social protest. It Was clearly that the, the social discontent reached a breaking level in November. You know that triggered those multiple right, the, the social Protest in the major cities, you know, which I think explained the timing of the policy shift, right, uh, because we know that until November 29th, right, the, the People's Daily was still talking about, right, uh, uh, sticking to zero COVID, but on November 30th, the Vice Premier Sun Chun-Lang, you know, convened a meeting with uh, uh, public health experts and officials, you know, basically talking about the new situation and the new tasks. But I think what remains unknown is that who choose to, or why the government choose to take the abrupt U-turn on December 7th. You know, so here I think you know, When we talk about the policy shift, there are two turning points. The first is actually happened November 30s, you know, when the China's COVID czar, right, the Vice Premier Swing, you know, talking about right, new tasks, right? Indicating uh there was going to be a major policy shift. But even so, she said she would you know, indicated that she would favor you know a more gradual approach. Approach. But then on December seventh, you know, with the release of this new policy guidelines, it was clear that the government, you know, wanted to. Essentially, they dismantled all the, the entire zero COVID regime, you know, that led to this what we call the "let it rip" approach. You know that uh, you know we still don't know what exactly happened during that uh, you know approximately one week time, and how do we rationalize that policy U-turn? You, you know, my hunch was that you know the government made that decision uh, based on the assessment of the situation and also the sort of the changing a uh, policy agenda. Because before the policy shift, you know, there was many of the public health experts talking about, you know, that 90% of the cases were asymptomatic, you know, so uh, even though by China, but right, uh, I think this is the, how the reason, right, that there's the uh, rationalize this policy shift, you know, that even though right, that abandoned the zero COVID, it is not going to lead to any significant increase of severe cases or death. In the meantime, you know, when China sort of was become determined to move to a rapid economic recovery stage, you know, they wanted to fixed economy, you know, as soon as possible. That means they also they want to end the pandemic as soon as it could, you know, so that leads to the theory, sort of like uh, rapidly uh, reach the peak, right, so that the economic recovery, you know, could uh, start right after by the spring festival, Lunar New Year period. And they choose the Lunar New Year period also because this is a time anyway, right, it was a public holiday, you know, so the damage to the the economy would also be minimized you know, despite, you know, the rapid increase of the cases.
0: So, Yanjong, you mentioned that as China was coming out of zero COVID, uh, the, it reached its peak in early January. Do we have good data for that right now? or Or is that still based off of the best that we can see?
1: Well, you know, officially, right, this is according to the chief epidemiologist of the China CDC, 80% of the population, that was the, the data, right, earlier this week, they talk about 80% of the population already have been infected, well, we talk essentially 80% means more than... Uh, 1.1 billion people were infected. Uh, More recently, the China CDC released the data, right, on the number of visits to fever clinics, the increase of um, severe cases and death, right. The number of visits to fever clinics peaked December 23rd and now fell to 63,000 on January 23rd. You know, the uh, there was this rapid increase of severe cases and death right the uh, number of hospitalization of covid cases peaked at uh, around uh, january 5th and now dropped uh, you know to a very low level the uh, number of covid death according to Uh, the government statistics, it was now about 73,000, you know, that uh, also might have dropped to a very low level, right? Once after that peaked on January 4th, you know, so this is the government data we have.
0: From your perspective, do you believe this data? It seems like a very large number, 80% of the people were infected, and the deaths seem very low. I don't know if
1: Exactly, right? This is this huge gap right? <laughs> between, not just between the number of infections and the number of you know, official death uh, toll, but also right, between the Chinese official estimate and the international estimate, right? So if we uh, buy the government stats that 80% of the population have been infected, right? We're talking about 1.1 billion people. And even though you adopted uh, like a 0.1% case fatality ratio, you know, that was the estimate also provided by the chief epidemiologist of China CDC in December, you know, that we're going to have, should have more than 1 million, right, COVID-related deaths.
0: Yeah, those are very, very stark figures, 1 million compared to 73,000.
1: Well, yeah, that's the problem. But again, the thing is that we really, we don't have any reliable alternative information um, to work on, to give, you know, a sound you know, estimate exactly how many people died with COVID in China.
0: Right. And can I ask you, you mentioned that there, there were international estimates of China's COVID situation. Could you share a little bit about what these international estimates were?
1: Well, those there, there were all kinds of this estimates by right? the, the after China reopened, you know, that varied from six hundred thousand into two point one million. By right? that, uh, well, depends on of course by uh, what time period we're talking about. Uh, the more recently, by right, the what is the uh, um. We have the um, Alfinity, a British research firm, uh, estimated that between December and now they are like more than 700,000 people uh, should have died with COVID. Uh, But uh, that was based on actually a very small number of infections. You know, they estimated like uh, more than 110 million people. Uh, being infected by this time. So that is like, they're talking about one-tenth of the infection level, right, of the official data. I
0: guess if you were to look at the official data, it probably is reassuring to the population to hear that 80% of the population were infected. So you're probably likely infected already, right, and you're probably still doing relatively well.
1: Yeah, based on, you know, the anecdotal, right, the data, the information, and also, right, The big data on the people's search of the uh, COVID related symptoms, you know, the uh, subway ride ship, it appears, right, that that the viral wave has indeed peaked and that our life is, you know, quickly back to some kind of normalcy. But we don't know how they got that 80%, you know, certainly, why There was the incentive, you know, for government to over-report, right, the percentage of infections uh, in order to, to show, you know, they're ready for economic rebound, right, or economic recovery. But in the meantime, well, there's this incentive, you know, to underreport right COVID death, you know, because the government right during the zero COVID right era, we use that this COVID information, uh, this this COVID death data right, to showcase the superiority of political system. You know, that we frequently, we hear about, you know, how, right, the the U.S., the 1 million people dying with COVID, right, this actually is evidence of the failure of the country's handling of the pandemic. So if you could imagine, right, if China reported 1 million, right, people dying with COVID, you know, that would be tantamount to admitting, right, that their approach, right, to COVID has failed.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent point. I did want to follow up on a little bit about what you just mentioned in terms of China's economy rebounding. What do you see based off of, you know, the last couple of months? How has the shift in COVID policies affected China's economic prospects? Are you seeing that people are now much more optimistic in terms of thinking about China's economic growth rate, doing business in China?
1: Well, given this battle, the economy, right, in 2022, remember, we only saw like 3%, right, the uh, uh, economic growth rate, you know, that was the lowest, right, the uh, growth rate since 1974, I believe. So, you know there will be sure right the economic rebound you know that happened right in in the aftermath of any major pandemics right the uh and the, plus the government was eager right to achieve right the rapid economic recovery so I think it's safe to say right, the economy will perform better. Uh, in 2023, than in 2022, but you know the question is whether it was going to return to the pre-COVID level, right? Is that high-speed uh, growth era over? Right? There's certainly where well, there's uh, discouraging signs, right? Uh, if you look at the uh, population level, right, it's, it's for the first time since 1962. China's population actually contracted, right? So you could uh, expect this population dividend, right? With this high percentage of uh, people in their prime productive age and the low dependency ratio that used to contribute to uh, some people estimate 15 to 27% of the Chinese economy. This population dividend is no longer there. Uh, there is also lingering fear over this capricious and arbitrary use of political power, right? As we saw uh, in China's COVID response, right? Uh, uh, in the crackdown on the industries like technology, and real estate, and education. So I think it may uh, it might take more efforts for the government than we thought to rebuild public confidence. And also, by right, the the, uh, the end of the zero COVID, you know, seems to have ex- accelerated this exodus of uh, wealthy Chinese. Right, we saw the inquiries, you know, from individuals Chinese people, you know, migration more than quadruple, right, in the days after the reopening compared to the week before. You know, so there's this confidence crisis. I think it would be also one of the biggest hurdles, you know, for China's economic recovery.
0: And maybe along those lines, you were mentioning a bit about, uh, sort of the political dynamics in China. Do you have any sense of, based on what you're seeing, that this rapid dismantling of China's COVID requirements have had any negative political blowback on President Xi Jinping himself or, or any of his close Because right now it seems like, at least from the outside, there's been this dramatic shift with questionable numbers of deaths and potentially large amounts of the population infected. But is there any discussion of who is to blame or is it largely welcomed in China?
1: Well, if we look at right, the, the the reverse course, right, essentially, right, the government found it very difficult you know, to come up with a coherent narrative, right, to justify why this is such a policy U-turn, why there's a lack of preparation, you know, for the policy shift. And all this, I think, undercut people's trust in the government, you know, so uh, you know the people, you know, were you know were wondering for example why, right, they in the zero-COVID era, you were highlighting the danger of the Omicron variant, but now you're saying, oh, it's no big deal. But then when the virus, viral wave actually hit by China, they found actually seems to be that the you know, majority of the most of the people actually indeed, when they're infected, they show symptoms, right? Not as what it was described as, you know, like 90% of the people were asymptomatic, right? So you have this government data, you know, policy experts' opinions all lost credibility, right? There's, you know, also by this incoherence, right, of the government narratives, right, between, before the policy shift, you know, they were criticizing the West approach of lying flat, right, they, you know, basically did not take any proactive action against the virus, but the, the policy reopening, indeed, characterized with you know, this approach, in a way, this approach was carried out to an extreme, right, in China. Right. Uh, so this is actually the, is the problem for the government is how to reconcile this gap, right, that is between the, I mean, there's two narratives. And in the meantime, right, the, this policy reopening affected a large percentage of the population, including those, right, who, uh, were supportive of zero COVID, right? Those elderly, right? Their family members, those who live in the countryside, right? Uh, and now, you know, they found they were completely caught off guard when the government uh, um, sort of move away from a zero COVID. And then they become, you know, they're also traumatized, you know, by this experience, but with the rapid increase of the, the cases, right? The, the, uh, the uh, you know, some Become victimized by this, right? So you have people both for and against the zero COVID and now were frustrated, angered by the policy shift. You know, so uh, I think this is going to reinforce sort of this credibility crisis. You know, that certainly, right, that, that would have a impact on President Xi's own personal stature because he himself was so tied so closely to the zero-COVID policy.
0: That's super fascinating. I guess I understand the larger point that people are frustrated with the government in various different ways as you laid out. And there probably is a recognition that shifts of this scale in China with respect to its COVID policy probably has to at least get the okay from President Xi. But I guess the larger question is, has it impacted at all in terms of what she wants to push, whether it's his political agenda, economic agenda, or even foreign policy agenda, or maybe it's too, it's too soon to tell?
1: Well, if you look at the current by the government policy, right, there's certain. domestic, we have we are seeing a resetting, right, of both domestic policy and a foreign policy, right. The uh, domestically, right, well, uh, uh, China shifted from zero COVID to uh, a rapid economic recovery. Right now, the latter become a top priority. And then on foreign policy front, right, this the failure of the zero COVID policy uh, also placed the government sort of in the the defensive, right, because they could no longer claim the superiority of their approach. Uh, They could uh, no longer use that to you know, project a soft power by right, using the vaccine diplomacy, right to proclaim the superiority of its political system. And we are seeing where the government seems to become more willing, right, or take a more flexible approach in dealing with the outside world you know i think uh, you know that uh, would be also one of the changes we are seeing after china began to move away from zero covid
0: thank you very interesting can i pull on a couple of threads that you mentioned you mentioned the impact of this change in policy on rural china and you also referenced the impact on the elderly in China. If you were to look at this from a sort of demographic and general public health perspective, how do you see China coming out from this? It seems like if it's significantly impacting the rural rural side, I've, I've read reports saying that this will likely impact how the amount of rural workers can go to the cities and support efforts there. But can you just talk broadly about, given the fact that the impact on the Chinese population hasn't been Equal, what does that mean for moving forward thinking about either Chinese demographics or Chinese public health in general?
1: Well, I think until recently, we essentially we didn't expect right that, that the virus is going to spread that fast, right? The, the speed, right, the scale of the spread was unprecedented. You know, I think uh, it's very difficult to find another country, you know, that uh, had experience, right, the, the spread, right, the, in you know, such a speedy manner. And also, what, you know, we thought you know that there's going to be sort of a lag, right, a lag time, you know, between the urban and the rural areas in terms of how the virus right, affected, right, the the, uh, the Chinese population. But you know, based on the, the this China CDC data, there's you know barely there was any lag. In terms of weighing the viral wave arrive, you know, so uh, it appears like almost, you know, like at the same time, you know, whether you live in the countryside or live in the rural areas, right, that, that uh, you are subject to that impact, uh, you know, basically at, almost at the same time and quickly, right, you have most of the population infected. And now, you know, that uh, seems that uh, you know, suddenly the, the virus is just a uh, disappear right now you know you got the impression right that this is just like a forgotten pandemic now now what you have uh, this concern about you know whether there's going to be next wave you know because we know that the virus coming waves you know that uh, this is the case in the u.s india but even in north korea right that they just you know, remember they just uh, uh, they declared a victory right, against COVID, in you know, last August. But now, right, they are imposing lockdown measures in Pyongyang over the so-called respiratory illness, likely COVID nineteen. Uh, so, you know, that uh, you know, even though the, most of the Chinese people through this infection might may, uh, may gain some uh, immunity, but uh, we don't know whether you know that are uh, going to be the end of the story you know very it's very likely that we're going to see a potential a second wave but so far I think it's too early to tell, you know. We have a lot of uncertainties here, right? The uh, I just hope, why right, the government would use this time, right, to prepare, you know, for the next outbreak, you know, by investing, in such capacity building, drawing some lessons, you know, from uh, the past three years, you know, and hope they would do a better job next time.
0: <laughs> I see. So, uh, Zhong, uh, and final question. Just to summarize, it seems like what you're saying is that we don't really know how things are going to develop for China, but if there were to be another wave, you're not sure that China will be prepared to deal with it
1: well I hope right that they will draw the lessons invested in uh preparing for the next outbreak but uh, you know we're very likely we're going to see by like, the government right use that example of the uh, this uh policy reopening to claim you know that uh, again, Right, they, they have won over the virus, you know, with just a, such a short period of time, right, and with such a low mortality level. The problem here is, as we all know, right, in the absence of any fundamental changes in the political institutions, you know, we talk about, like, concentration, over-concentration of political power, upward, you know, the, the accountability pro state society relationship, uh, which all contributed to the wars by the, in China's handling of the uh, the pandemic. And I'm afraid you know, that tragedy could potentially be repeated in the future.
0: Well, thank you, Yanzhong, for your deep dive into what's happening in China post-COVID-0 and perhaps not on not on the most optimistic note, but perhaps a realistic assessment of what's happening in terms of what's happening right now in China as well as the future. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you. <laughs>